of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham, Chapter 118. It was late in the evening when Philip arrived at Fern. It was Mrs. Athelney's native village, and she had been accustomed from her childhood to pick in the hop field to which, with her husband and her children, she still went every year. Like many Kentish folk, her family had gone out regularly, glad to earn a little money, but especially regarding the annual outing, looked forward to for months as the best of holidays. The work was not hard. It was done in common in the open air, and for the children it was a long, delightful picnic. Here the young men met the maidens, and the long evenings when work was over, they wandered about the lanes, making love, and hoping the season was generally followed by weddings. They went out in carts with bedding, pots and pans, chairs and tables, and fern, while the shopping lasted, was deserted. They were very exclusive and would have resented the intrusion of foreigners, as they called the people who came from London. They looked down upon them and feared them, too. They were a rough lot, and the respectable country folk did not want to mix with them. In the old days, the hoppers slept in barns, but ten years ago, a row, a row of huts had been erected at the side of a meadow, and the Athelnys, like many others, had the same hut every year. Athelny met Philip at the station in a cart he had borrowed from the public house at which he had got a room for Philip. It was a quarter of a mile from the hop field. They left his bag there and walked over to the meadow in which were the huts. There, they were nothing more than a long, low shed divided into little rooms about twelve feet square. In front of each was a fire of sticks round which a family was grouped, eagerly watching the cooking of supper. The sea air and the sun had browned already the faces of Athelny's children. Mrs. Athelny seemed a different woman in her sunbonnet. You felt that the long years in the city had made no real difference to her. She was the countrywoman born and bred, and you could see how much at home she found herself in the country. She was frying bacon and at the same time keeping an eye on the younger children, but she had a hearty handshake and a jolly smile for Philip. Athelny was enthusiastic over the delights of a rural experience. We are starved for sun and light in the cities we live in. Isn't it life? It isn't life. It's a long imprisonment. Let us sell all we have, Betty, and take a farm in the country. I can see you in the country, she answered with good-humored scorn. Why, the first rainy day we had in the winter, you'd be crying for London. She turned to Philip. Athelny's always like this when we come down here. Country, I like that. Why, he don't know a Swede from a mango wurzel. Daddy was lazy today, remarked Jane, with the frankness which characterized her. He didn't fill one bin. I'm getting into practice, child, and tomorrow I shall fill I shall fill more bins than all of you put together. Come and eat your supper, children, said Mrs. Adelny. Where's Sally? Here I am, mother. She stepped out of their little hut, and the flames of the wood fire leapt up and cast sharp color upon her face. Of late, Philip had only seen her in the trim frock she had taken to since she was at the dressmaker's, and there was something very charming in the print dress she wore now, loose and easy to work in. The sleeves were tucked up and showed her strong, round arms. She, too, had a sunbonnet. "'You look like a milkmaid in a fairy story,' said Philip, and he shook hands with her. "'She's the belle of the hopfields,' said Athelny. "'My word, if the squire's son sees you, "'he'll make you an offer of marriage "'before you can say Jack Robinson.' "'The squire hasn't got a son, father,' said Sally. "'She looked about for a place to sit down, "'and Philip made room for her beside him. 
She looked wonderful in the night lit by wood fires. She was like some rural goddess, and you thought of those fresh, strong girls whom old Herrick had praised in exquisite numbers. The supper was simple. Bread and butter, crisp bacon, tea for the children, and beer for Mr. and Mrs. Athelny and Philip. Athelny, eating hungrily, praised loudly all he ate. He flung words of scorn at Lucullus and piled invectives upon Brillet Saverin. There's one thing you can there's one thing one can say for you, Athelny, said his wife. You do enjoy your food, and no mistake. Cooked by your hand, my Betty, he said, stretching out an eloquent forefinger. Philip felt himself very comfortable. He looked happily at the line of fires with people grouped around them and the color of the flames against the night. At the end of the meadow was a line of great elms and above the, and above the starry sky. The children talked and laughed, and Athelney, a child among them, made them roar by his tricks and fancies. They think a rare lot of Athelney down here, said his wife. Why, Mrs. Bridges said to me, I don't know what we would do without Mr. Athelney now, she said. He's always up to something. He's more like a schoolboy than the father of a family. Sally sat in silence, but she attended to Philip's wants in a thoughtful fashion that charmed him. It was pleasant to have her beside him, and now and then he glanced at her sunburned, healthy face. Once he caught her eyes, and she smiled quietly. When supper was over, Jane and a small brother were sent down to a brook that ran at the bottom of the meadow to fetch a pail of water for washing up. You children, show your Uncle Philip where we sleep. Then you must be thinking of going to bed. Small hands seized Philip, and he was dragged towards the hut. He went in and struck a match. There was no furniture in it, and beside a tin box in which clothes were kept, there was nothing but the beds. There were three of them, one against each wall. Athelny followed Philip and showed them proudly. "'That's the stuff to sleep on,' he cried. "'None of your spring mattresses and swans down. "'I never sleep so soundly anywhere as here. "'You will sleep between sheets, my dear fellow. "'I pity you from the bottom of my soul.' "'The beds consisted of a thick layer of hop vine, "'on the top of which was a coating of straw, "'and this was covered with a blanket. "'After a day in the open air, "'with the aromatic scent of the hops all around them, "'the happy pickers slept like tops.' By nine o'clock all was quiet in the meadow, and every one in bed but one or two men who still lingered in the public house and would not come back till it was closed at ten. Athelney walked there with Philip, but before he went Mrs. Athelney said to them, We breakfast about a quarter to six, but I dare say you won't want to get up as early as that. You see, we have to set to work at six. Of course he must get up early, cried Athelney, and he must work like the rest of us. He's got to earn his he's got to earn his board. No work, no dinner, my lad. The children go down to bathe before breakfast, and they can give you a call on their way back. They pass the jolly sailor. If they'll wake me, I'll come and bathe with them, said Philip. Jane and Harold and Edward shouted with delight at the prospect, and next morning Philip was awakened out of a sound sleep by their bursting into his room. The boys jumped on his bed, and he had to chase them out with his slippers. He put on a coat and a pair of trousers, and went down. The day had only just broken, and there was a nip in the air, but the sky was cloudless and the sun was shining yellow. Sally, holding Connie's hand, was standing in the middle of the road with a towel and a sunbathing dress over her arm. He saw now that her sunbonnet was of the color of lavender, and against it her, f and against it her face, red and brown, was like an apple. 
She greeted him with her slow, sweet smile, and he noticed suddenly that her teeth were small and regular and very white. He wondered why they had never caught his attention before. I was for letting you sleep on, she said, but they would go up and wake you. I said you didn't really want to come. Oh, yes, I did. They walked down the road and then cut across the marshes. That way it was under a mile to the sea. The water looked cold and gray, and Philip shivered at the sight of it. But the others tore off their clothes and ran in, shouting. Sally did everything, a little slowly, and she did not come into the water till all the rest were splashing round Philip. Swimming was his only accomplishment. He felt at home in the water. And soon he had them all imitating him as he played at being a porpoise and a drowning man and a fat lady afraid of getting her hair wet. The bathe was uproarious, and it was necessary for Sally to be very severe to induce them all to come out. You're as bad as any of them, she said to Philip in her grave maternal way, which was at once comic and touching. They're not anything like so naughty when you're not here. They walked back, Sally with her bright hair streaming over one shoulder and her sunbonnet in her hand, but when they got to the huts, Mrs. Adelny had already started, the hop, started for the hop garden. Adelny in a pair of the oldest trousers anyone had ever worn, his jacket buttoned up to show he had no shirt on, and a wide-brimmed soft hat was frying kippers over a fire of sticks. He was delighted with himself. He looked every inch a brigand. As soon as he saw the party, he began to shout the witch's chorus from Macbeth over the odorous kippers. You mustn't dawdle over your breakfast or mother will be angry, he said when they came up. And in a few minutes, Harold and Jane, with pieces of bread and butter in their hands, they sauntered through the meadow into the hop field. They were the last to leave. A hop garden was one of the sites connected with Philip's boyhood, and the oast houses to him the most typical features of the Kentish scene. It was with no sense of strangeness, but as though he were at home, that Philip followed Sally through the long lines of the hops. The sun was bright now and cast a sharp shadow. Philip feasted his eyes on the richness of the green leaves. The hops were yellowing, and to him they had the beauty and the passion which poets in Sicily have found in the purple grape. As they walked along, Philip felt himself overwhelmed by the rich luxuriance. A sweet scent rose from the fat Kentish soil, and the fitful September breeze was heavy with the goodly perfume of the hops. Athelstan felt the exhilaration instinctively, for he lifted up his voice and sang. It was the cracked voice of a boy of fifteen, and Sally turned round. You be quiet, Athelstan, or we shall have a thunderstorm. In a moment they heard the hum of voices, and in a moment more came upon the pickers. They were all hard at work, talking and laughing as they picked. They sat on chairs, on stools, on boxes with their baskets by their sides, and some stood by the bin throwing the hops they picked straight into it. There was a lot of children about, and a good many babies, some in makeshift cradles, some tucked up in a rug on the soft brown dry earth. The children picked a little and played a great deal. The women worked busily. They had been pickers from childhood, and they could pick twice as fast as foreigners from London. They boasted about the number of bushels they had picked in a day, but they complained they could not make money now as in former times, and they, when, then they paid you a shilling for five bushels, but now the rate was eight and even nine bushels to the shilling. In the old days, a good picker could earn enough in the season to keep her for the rest of the year, but now there was nothing in it. You got a holiday for nothing, and that was about all. Mrs. Hill had brought herself a piano out of which she made picking, so she said, 
but she was very near. One wouldn't like to be near like that. And most people thought it was only what she said. If the truth was known, perhaps it would be found that she had put a bit of money from the savings bank towards it. The hoppers were divided into Ben companies of ten pickers, not counting children, and Athelney loudly boasted of the day when he would have a company consisting entirely of his own family. Each company had a bin man, whose duty it was to supply it with strings of hops at their bins. The bin was a large sack on a wooden frame, about seven feet high, and long rows of them were placed between the rows of hops, and it was to this position that Athelney aspired when his family was old enough to form a company. Meanwhile, he worked rather by encouraging others than by extortions of his own. He sauntered up to Mrs. Athelney, who had been busy for half an hour and had already emptied a basket into the bin, and with his cigarette between his lips began to pick. He asserted that he was going to pick more than anyone that day, but mother, of course, no one could pick so much as mother. That reminded him of the trials of Aphrodite put upon the curious psyche, and he began to tell his children the story of her love for the unseen bridegroom. He told it very well. It seemed to Philip, listening with a smile on his lips, that the old tale fitted in with the scene. The sky was very blue now, and he thought it could not be more lovely even in Greece. The children with their fair hair and rosy cheeks, strong, healthy, and vivacious, the delicate form of the hops, the challenging emerald of the leaves like a blare of trumpets, the magic of the green alley, narrowing to a point as you look down the row with the pickers in their sunbonnets. Perhaps there was more of the Greek spirit than you could find in the books of professors or in museums. He was thankful for the beauty of England. He thought of the winding white roads and the hedgerows, the green meadows with their elm trees, the delicate line of the hills and the copses that crowned them, the flatness of the marshes and the melancholy of the North Sea. He was very glad that he felt its loveliness. But presently, Athelney grew restless and announced that he would go and ask how Robert Kemp's mother was. He knew everyone in the garden and called them all by their Christian names. He knew their family histories and all that had happened to them from birth. With harmless vanity, he played the fine gentleman among them, and there was a touch of condescension in his familiarity. Philip would not go with him. I'm going to earn my dinner, he said. "'Quite right, my boy,' answered Athelney, with a wave of the hand as he strolled away. "'No work, no dinner.'" End of chapter 118